Good morning and welcome back to First Baptist Church Online. My name is Steve Polk and it's an honor to welcome you to our online broadcast. Our pastor begins a new series this week we're very excited about. If you've ever wondered about the kingdom of God, you're going to hear about our place in the kingdom of God over the next four weeks. Uh, this week, our pastor is going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 13. And if you've been following our reading plan with us or would like to do that, uh, w- this is part of, of where we'll be reading this week. So go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 13, get a notepad and a pen, and get ready to to learn what it is that God has for us uh, in these verses. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, for your Word, that we can recognize ourselves within it, that you challenge us to grow uh, because of the investment we make in learning and understanding your Word. Over the last few weeks, we looked at the, the culture that we live in and how we fit into it, but today... It is a great journey to look at the kingdom of God and see our place in that. So we'll do that for the next four weeks. But today, uh, let's hear what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently on a Sunday morning, we baptized a, a man who was a new believer in Jesus, limited background in terms of going to church and knowing the Bible. And one of our pastors was speaking with him and, and he asked him, when, when, when we talk about things like Sunday school and life groups, uh, discipleship and D groups, do you know what we're talking about? Does it make sense to you? And he said, not really. And then the pastor asked him, well, I know you, you've got a Bible and you're reading it. Uh, does it make sense to you? Do, do you understand much of it? He said, not much. And the truth is there are a lot of things in, in God's word that, that can be a challenge for someone who's a new believer to understand, someone who's not been around church a whole lot to really understand. It's also true there are some words and phrases that, that are used quite often in the Bible and in the New Testament that even people who've gone to church for many, many years and followed Jesus for a long time sometimes struggle to understand, to really uh, you know, know what it means. Sometimes people who've been in church a long time get confused about certain things in God's Word or misunderstand what it, what it really means. And uh, one of those words, one of those phrases that Jesus used a lot in his preaching and that you find elsewhere in the New Testament that some people, uh, I'd say a lot of us at times, struggle to really grasp the full meaning of it is, is when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, both of those phrases meaning the same thing. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? What did Jesus mean when he used those phrases? In in very simple, basic terms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven refers to God's rule, God's reign as king and Lord, if you will. And Jesus, when he was on trial uh, before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, said to Pilate that his kingdom, that Jesus' kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. It was not a worldly kingdom. It was not an earthly kingdom. Because if it was an earthly kingdom like all the others, and all the other nations and empires and so on, his followers would be fighting with swords to defend him. But his kingdom's not that kind of kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. And that means that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, listen to me, is not a nation. It's not a geographical region. It's not a place you can find on any map. 
It's not a political organization, a political entity, a political party. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is not a group of people. It is God's rule, not only over people, but the universe and Jesus. Listen, Jesus invites you to be part of his kingdom. He invites you to personally enter into his kingdom. And what I want to do is is preach four messages over the next several weeks aimed at understanding what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We're going to look at several passages in the Gospels in particular, and today, Matthew 13. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to Matthew chapter 13. And I want us to, I I want you, I want you as a follower of Jesus to really understand what the kingdom of heaven is, what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of God. And to kind of set the stage, I need you to understand that currently, that presently in this world, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, there's Jesus' kingdom, and there's also the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of this culture, if you will, that is lost. And every person every person on this planet belongs to one of those two kingdoms. I belong to one of those two kingdoms. You belong to one of those two kingdoms. And today we're going to see very clearly in Jesus' teaching these two kingdoms exist. You belong to one or the other. And you better know, you need to know which one you belong to. And if you want to be part of Jesus' kingdom, there's certain things you have to do. And so in Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And he's doing so in parables. Parables are stories intended to make a point, to illustrate a biblical or spiritual truth. And so if you have your Bible open with me, let's read together starting at verse 24. The Bible says, Jesus presented another parable to them, to the crowd, and here's what he said. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, His enemy came and sowed tares or weeds or thorns, if you will, among the wheat and then went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares, the weeds also became evident. And verse 27, the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? How does it have weeds as well? Verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up, you know, pull up the weeds, pull up the tares, the thorns, and so on? And uh, in verse 29, the, the farmer, the landowner said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, some of you will readily understand much of what Jesus meant 
in this story, this parable, this analogy. Others of you may not, particularly if you're not familiar with uh, farming, because that's what he does here. He uses a farming analogy, a, a farmer who plants good seed in his in his fields, if you will, and then somebody else who doesn't like him comes along at night and goes out there and plants weeds, and uh, they, they begin growing together. And his hired men, his servants, his slaves, whatever, they, they see that and they said, you want us to go out and pull up the weeds? And he says, no, it's too late. If you try to do that now, you'll disturb the roots of the wheat and damage and damage the wheat. Just let them grow together. And then when the harvest comes, we'll go out and we'll pull it all up and you'll separate the wheat and put it in bundles. I mean, the, the tares, the weeds and burn those. And, and then we'll take the wheat and we'll gather it into my Barn. It's a farming analogy. And Jesus is, is, is telling us something important about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And later in Matthew 13, he explains the meaning of the story. In verse 36, if you have your Bible, verse 36, the disciples come to Jesus in the house after the crowds left, and they, they say to Jesus, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus, we don't get it. We don't understand it. Help us. Explain what you meant by that story, by that parable. And then beginning at verse 37, Jesus explained the parable, what it meant. And in verse 37, he says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. In other words, Jesus says, I'm the farmer. I'm the landowner. I'm the one sowing the good seed. It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the good seed, the truth of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is the good seed, and he's the farmer who is sowing that, and, and it goes into the garden. And then he goes on to explain more about this. Look at verse 38. He says, the field is the world. So the farmer is throwing seed on his, on his field. Well, the field is the world. Jesus is ministering in this world to all of us. And he goes on in verse 38 to say the good seed, the wheat that grows up in the garden, that, that's Jesus' followers. That's the sons of the kingdom. That's those of us who, who love Jesus and serve Jesus and are disciples of Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus, we are part of of his kingdom. He also says in verse 30, 38 that the tares, the weeds, are the people who are the sons of the evil one, those who do not belong to the kingdom of God, those who are not disciples of Jesus, who are not following Jesus. They belong to that otherworldly kingdom, the kingdom of the devil. Um, when I was a kid, Back in the 1960s and even into the early 70s as I became a, a, a teenager, I can still remember on the evening news, uh, there was always a story about Vietnam because that was during the, the, the height of the Vietnam War. And one of the things they, they had on the broadcast every night for years was how many American soldiers were killed that day, how many casualties had been reported. And, and in Vietnam, while it was a, a, a disaster, so to speak, when it when it came to America, before we got involved in the war, Vietnam was a, a colony of France. And uh, back in the late 1800s, France took uh, uh, Vietnam and Laos, and, Laos and, and other countries in that part of the world, and they colonized them, and they established official borders, uh, boundaries like you, you and I are used to. Well, we know where the American-Canadian border is. There's the American border. Mexico countries have borders, and that's what France did in that part of the world with Vietnam and Laos and so on. 
But what was interesting to me is before the French colonized all those uh, all those Indonesian countries, they really didn't have borders like we think of borders. The king of Laos, Laos and the, the king of Vietnam had come to an agreement to, to uh, know which people, which families, which individuals belong to which country. It's really, really interesting. Their agreement was that those who grew and ate short grain rice and built their houses on stilts and decorated them with carved serpents were considered Laotians. But on the other hand, those who ate long grain rice built their houses on the ground and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons were considered Vietnamese. The exact location of a person's house, the geography, did not determine their nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom, if you will, to the nation, if you will, whose cultural values they exhibited. And what Jesus is saying is, is, is the field of this world has in it both people who are disciples of Jesus and people who are not. People who belong to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and people who belong to the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of darkness. And we live together in this world in the present time. And what distinguishes us what determines which kingdom we belong to is not where we live and where we go. It's how we live. It's the values by which we live. It's the belief system that we have. It's the decisions we've made in regard to the person of Jesus Christ. You could have people living side by side in any neighborhood in Rock Hill, and they belong to different kingdoms, one belonging to the kingdom of God and the other belonging to the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil. That's one of the things Jesus is telling us. And then he continues in verse 39 with the explanation by saying that the enemy, the enemy who sold the tares, the weeds, is the devil. And the harvest, when at the end of the growing season, the farmers sent out the reapers and they gathered the, the harvest and they separated the wheat from the tares, he said the harvest, the harvest is at the end of the age. The second coming of Jesus Christ and the judgment day when time as you and I know it will cease to be. And the reapers are the angels. And then Jesus goes on in verse 40. And let's just read it together starting at verse 40. He said, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age, at the second coming. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in verse 42, he adds, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous, in verse 42, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus very clearly says at the second coming, his angels are going to separate the tares from the wheat. He's going to separate the lost from the saved, those who are not following Jesus and those who are following Jesus. 
And the destiny of each is very clear and very, very different. Just as the tares were bundled up and thrown into the fire and burned up, Jesus says that his angels are going together from this world. And all of those who are not following him, all of those who do not love him and serve him, and they are going to be thrown into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, brothers and sisters, hear me. Jesus said more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And so you and I would be wise to listen to what he said about it. He said it's going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal suffering. But those who are disciples of Jesus, he says they will shine like the like the sun in his kingdom. And, and it's the picture, if you go back to the farming analogy, once the, the reapers, the harvesters, separate the weeds and the tares from the, the wheat, you see the wheat by itself and it's beautiful. And Jesus is saying when his people are over here and it's clearly visible who belongs to him and who belongs to Satan, they are going to shine like the sun. They will stand out and it'll be a beautiful thing. They will shine like the sun in his kingdom. In 1968, John Wayne um, starred in a movie called The Hell Fighters. It was based on the, the, the story of John Red Adair. His nickname was Red, a leading expert, if you will, who revolutionized uh, how people would fight fires that were started in, in, in oil wells, how to cap them when there was an explosion and a blaze, how to cap them and put out those those fires, whether whether the oil well was was on land or or, or in, in, in the ocean or whatever. And uh, in his lifetime he battled more than two thousand of those oil well fires. And after the first Persian Gulf War back in 1991, when, you know, Saddam Hussein and Iraq invaded Kuwait and then the American military forced forced uh, them out of Kuwait. On his way out, Saddam had his army set all of those oil wells in Kuwait on fire to weaken the economy of that uh, country that he had wanted to conquer. It was this uh, John Red Adair who led the American effort to cap all those wells in Kuwait and put out all of those fires. He was a he was a brash man, a fearless man, a fighter. He was brave. He was strong. In 1991, he gave an interview. And uh, he, he basically said that, that even after he died, he was going to be the same way. He was still going to be brash and fearless. He wasn't going to change. And, and this is a direct quote. He said, I've done made a deal with the devil. And he said, the devil said, he's going to give me an air-conditioned place when I go down there, if I go there, so I won't put out all the fires. In other words, he's joking, but he's being brashed. Uh, just a few years later, in, in 2004, he died. And I don't know if he was saved or not, but based on his quote and his attitude, it doesn't sound like he was a follower of Jesus. And unless he changed and became a disciple of Jesus Christ, after he died, he found out that everything he had said in that interview was wrong. There's no putting out the flame. There's no putting out the fire. There's no putting out the pain. There's no escaping 
There's no escaping. Jesus said that the tares and those who are not his disciples will be thrown into the furnace of fire and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. John Adair, if he didn't change, found out just like every other person who spends their life ignoring Jesus, not making time for Jesus, that the suffering of hell is real and it is eternal. Now, brothers and sisters, in this life, there is so much confusion. We don't always know who's a true disciple of Jesus and who isn't. People believe all kinds of things, think all kinds of things, say all kinds of things. But at the second coming, at the second coming, when, when Jesus returns and his angels separate the wheat from the chaff, the saved from the lost, the true disciple from those who are not followers of Christ, everything will be cleared up. There will be no confusion on that day. And God's kingdom, God's kingdom, those who belong to God's kingdom will be visible and, and it will be evident. And, and today, yes, today we live all in this same world, but then no, no, there's a clear delineation. There's a clear distinction on that day. The kingdom of God will be visible and evident and those who belong to his kingdom there'll be no doubt about it no mistaking it and those who are the tares those who are the weeds those who are not followers of Christ those who are not his disciples there'll be no doubt as well it will be evident a clear delineation a clear division and the only kingdom the only kingdom left standing will be the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of Satan will be over. It'll be cast into hell, and all who belong to his kingdom, there'll only be one kingdom left standing. And I know sometimes those of us who follow Jesus, if we're not careful, can begin to feel like God's kingdom is losing in this world. But the truth is, God's kingdom is not losing. God's kingdom is growing. It's like a tsunami growing stronger and larger under the surface of the water on the bottom of the ocean floor, not visible above until it crashes on the land. The kingdom of God is growing often out of sight and out of mind, but like that tsunami is getting larger and stronger, so is the kingdom of God. In this same chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus said, my kingdom will grow. My kingdom will be strong. In verse 31, he gave them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a little bitty seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. He planted it in the dirt, if you will. And this is, this is smaller than all the other seeds. It's a very, very small seed, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Jesus said his kingdom can seem like something so small and so insignificant, almost invisible, but it's going to grow and it will become a tree that birds can rest in. He says, my kingdom is not losing. My kingdom is not being diminished. My kingdom is expanding. It is growing. It is getting larger and it is getting stronger. And at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven will make landfall and Everybody will know that the kingdom of God is real and the only kingdom left standing, the only one 
that is eternal. So here's my question for you. Are you part of God's kingdom? Are you part of the kingdom of heaven? Are you going to burn in the furnace of fire or shine like the sun in the kingdom of God? Will the angels bind you and throw you into hell? Or will they escort you to heaven? You see, which kingdom you belong to is your choice. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you can. He invites you. He extends to you right now an invitation to become a citizen of his kingdom. But you must choose. You are naturally, because you are a sinner like all of us, you've sinned a part of the devil's kingdom. But you must choose to repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ to become part of the kingdom of God. That's what I did when I was a teenager. When did you do that? Have you done that? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's as though Jesus is standing here right now and extending to you a personal invitation to enter his kingdom. And it's a real, authentic, genuine invitation. He wants you in his kingdom. He's inviting you into his kingdom. And to accept his invitation, what you do is to repent of your sin. That means to do an about face, to acknowledge to God that God is right and you are wrong, that you have sinned, that you have done what God doesn't want you to do, and that you cannot save yourself. You turn from that thinking, you turn from that way of living, and you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive you, asking him to save you, committing yourself to him to live for him going forward and not for yourself or the world, but to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are a member of his kingdom, it means he is your king. He is your Lord. Yes, he's your savior, but he is your king. He is your Lord. Will you right now repent of your sin and lostness? And commit your life to Jesus Christ. Bow your head where you are. It doesn't matter if others are around. It's between you and God. Wherever you are right now, just bow your head, close your eyes, humble your heart before the Lord Jesus, and say something like this to him, and mean it with all your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner. I know I do not belong to your kingdom. And if the angels came today... They would throw me into hell, not heaven. But I believe you are inviting me into your kingdom. I believe you love me. Right now, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and I ask you to forgive me. I accept your invitation to enter your kingdom, to live for you, to serve you, and to love you. I choose to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for answering this prayer and welcoming, welcoming me into your kingdom, into your family. Help me be a strong disciple, a strong follower who belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to do something. On your screen right now, you see a number, 803-310-4455. I want you to text the word Jesus. That's right, J-E-S-U-S. -S. Text the word Jesus to that number, 
and then follow the prompt that you will receive. That's your way of letting me know that you prayed that prayer or a similar prayer and committed your life to Jesus Christ. I want to send you some literature to help you understand more than you already do your relationship with Jesus and to help you grow and answer questions you might have. So text the word Jesus to that number. Let us know you became a follower of Jesus and we want to help you. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today and I look forward to being with you next Sunday as I preach another message on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God.